Welcome to Closing Time. Conversations on commercial real estate, development, brokerage, and the economy. Presented by Capital Rivers, the leading disruptor in commercial real estate. Our host for this episode, Greg Aguirre. Bill, welcome and thank you for uh, taking the time to join me this morning. For those of you that are listening, Bill Angove is a legend in the 1031 Exchange Arena with over 23 years of industry experience. He's the uh, Vice President for Asset Preservation, which is a leading national 1031 Exchange qualified intermediary. And uh, their parent company is Stewart Information Services Corporation, which is traded on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol STC. Bill is also the past president of the Association of Commercial Real Estate and is very heavily involved in the commercial real estate industry, as well as advocating for the protection of the 1031 like-kind exchange. As many of you know, the 1031 exchange plays an important role in commercial real estate. It uh, you know encourages investment. Um, it contributes to federal, state, and local tax revenue reduces uh, the use of leverage and improves liquidity in the market. Uh, Bill, thanks uh, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Boy, you uh, put it all right out there from the get-go. Did I miss anything? No, I think you got it all. Uh, do you got my kids' names and they're, you know, where they go to school or anything? Back there <laughs> too? We can add that in as well. If you like. <laughs> well, why don't you, if you don't mind, kind of share with us, you know, what is a 1031? What, what's, you know, the IRS... Section 1031, what is it? How do they define it? And why is it important? Well, first of all, this is Section Code 1031, as as you referenced. It's actually been in the regulations and the tax code since uh, over 100 years now. So some people see it as a loophole, which it's not. It's uh, uh, regularly used by both people that own rental houses, office buildings, uh, retail centers, any type of investment property throughout the United States. And what it allows a taxpayer to do is, is sell an asset to further capital gains, both state and federal, and buy a new investment property anywhere in the United States. We cannot exchange to Canada or Mexico or outside of, of the country, uh, but we can trade uh, definitely within the country. We actually, well, probably jumping ahead, but we have seen a lot of people exchanging out of California to buy investment properties and say, Idaho or Tennessee or Texas with the plan to maybe eventually move there. That's the trend that we're seeing. And um, it's keeping us very, very busy because we have to educate the taxpayer that, yes, you're deferring federal. um, Yes, you're deferring state of California, but California has a clawback law that says, okay, you can exchange from California and Nevada and defer $300,000 a gain. But if you eventually sell that asset you buy in Nevada, you will owe California its tax. So just because you're escaping California does not mean you're escaping California tax. Um, I think a lot of people forget that. I mean, um, you know, even, uh, you know, industry professionals that we we talk to, I think uh, forget that if you make your money in California, you're going to owe taxes in California, even if you leave and go to another state. So go make your money in another state that you're a resident of first, because California is going to come claw back. They're going to come after those taxes. I'm working on two deals today where they're they're buying an inclined village. They're saying, I'm done with property here in California. I'm going to buy an incline and maybe move there maybe three, four, five years from now. 
to avoid you know the income taxes that down the road when they're in their retirement. So, you know, that's the thing about exchanges is it, is, is it can be used as a not only tax deferral but a, an estate planning source. Uh, you can diversify into different types of properties. We're seeing a lot of consolidation right now where you've got the boomers that own three to five rental properties and they're tired of the teas, tenants, toilets, termites, trash, and taxes because <laughs> they manage a lot of these properties themselves and they're consolidating maybe to a single, uh, you know, triple net uh, CVS or Walgreens. I mean, that's where you guys really get involved totally. in helping these folks in that in that area. If those are good investments to buy these days, so I don't know. Um, but that's what I would we're say seeing. so, yes, but uh, I'm a little biased. But uh, I would say, you know, from our standpoint, you know, we we develop, you know, single tenant, you know, caliber collisions and grocery outlets and O'Reilly's. And I would say 90% of our buyers are utilizing the 1031 exchange to acquire the property. Um, so for us, it's critical. Yeah, I would. I saw a statistic uh, not long ago uh, in the support area of uh, keeping 1031s around, but there was a statistic that over a third of all commercial transactions are 1031 exchanges. So that's a pretty big number uh, considering how many commercial transactions take place nationwide. Absolutely. And there's some flexibility in 1031s as well. So I think a lot of folks think that, you know, you sell a retail property, you have to go buy another retail property, but that's not not necessarily true. That's the most misunderstood thing about 1031 exchanges other than what is the identification period. But like for like means investment for investment, not retail for retail. So if you think of any type of property that's not someone's primary residence, that could be like kind in an exchange, including land. Uh, we see oil and gas deals, uh, Delaware statutory trust deals, cell tower sites, uh, windmill sites. I mean, they're a lot of that can be bought and sold under a section code 1031. So it's very broad. Great question. And there's this concept of boot, you know, where if you're doing an exchange, you have to exchange, well, you don't have to exchange, but you, you know, the, the idea is that you're exchanging for uh, equal or greater price or a dollar amount. Could you kind of go into that a little bit and explain what that is and what boot is and why it's important? Right. So first of all, I want to stress that there is not an IRS regulation stipulating you have to buy of equal or greater value. It's not right. in the books, right? However, if you don't want to pay any taxes when you do an exchange, uh, you'll hear people say buy of equal or greater value to defer taxes. And that's one way to look at it very simply. Uh, the two main ideas or rules, if you will, to have the exchange be 100% tax deferred is reinvest all of the proceeds. And number two, take on equal or greater debt. So how do we get to our proceeds? We have our sales price minus closing costs and commissions. We have our loan payoff, and then we have our proceeds or our equity. So when you do an exchange, those proceeds are wired to asset preservation to be held on your behalf between the sale and the purchase. So number one, you want to reinvest all of those proceeds into the new property or properties. You can buy more than one property. And number two, take on a loan that's the same or greater as your old loan. So now if you don't do those two things, let's say you sell for a million dollars, but you only buy a new property for $800,000, forget any debt at this point in time. So that $200,000 left over, Greg, would be considered boot taxable. 
So some people like to buy a lesser property. We see a lot of that coming from the Bay Area where they're buying Tahoe, Del Webb, Sun City, wherever out in the foothills. They're buying a lesser property, but they're going to have money left over. Maybe they want to buy a new car. Maybe they got a kid in college so they can pull cash out, but they're going to pay taxes on that difference. Secondarily, however, same thing with a loan. Let's say my million-dollar property has a $500,000 loan, right? And I only take on, I buy that $800,000 property, but I don't, I only take on a new loan of $300,000. Well, that $200,000 difference in old loan and new loan is called mortgage boot. And you're going to pay taxes on that just like you receive cash. Which is, I would say why it's really important to work with a group like asset preservation, you know, or a broker that understands this, because if you have a highly leveraged property, you know, and you're going and exchanging and buying another property, your lender is going to require a certain amount of equity and you might actually have to put money into the deal in order to be able to finance it without having the uh, you know, resulting boot on the, the mortgage difference. So it can get fairly complicated, but it's important to understand you know, what you're exchanging out of, how much uh, uh, debt and equity there is, and then what you're exchanging into and what the impacts would be. And some people don't want the same size loan that they had before. So maybe they want to have a little lesser loan to have the property, you know, cash flow a little bit better. So they can offset debt with cash. So back to my example, I have a million dollar property, $500,000 loan, $500,000 of equity. I go buy another property for a million dollars, all cash. What I've done is use the equity as a down payment, but then I got into my piggy bank to the tune of $500,000. And I put that as also as a down payment on the new million dollar property. So I've offset the debt requirement with cash out of pocket. So they should be aware they can do that too. Yeah, that's a great point. So now that we've kind of touched on the basics of the 1031, I don't know that everyone really understands how important the 1031 is to the greater economy. So I did a little bit of research. Like-kind exchanges are really essential to the health and stability of the real estate market. And according to some of these research studies that I, I looked into, like-kind exchanges account for uh, 10 to 20% of all commercial transactions. I know you mentioned a third, you know, it's probably higher. I'm, I believe this report was, um, you know, a year or two old. And it also mentioned that the uh, 1031 like-kind exchange is estimated to generate about 568,000 jobs, uh, over 27 billion in labor income, and add 55 billion to the US GDP. And that was in 2021. I mean, that's pretty significant. Do you have anything that you can add to that? Any statistics? I'm sure you're you well know, talking about uh, this all the time, especially with uh, what's what's happening right now. When I got into the business 23 years ago, one of my competitors I met for the first time said, welcome to the 1031 business. You could be legislated out of a job any day. And, you know, we've seen this, these threats to 1031 come and go over the years, including in 2018 when Trump was president, when he got corporate tax rates lowered, 1031 was on the table. And here we are again. You know, I won't jump into too much, but, uh, you know, it, it is, as you pointed out, uh, very vital uh, to the American economy in various ways. Not only does it provide the number of jobs that, that you mentioned, but you think about any real estate transaction, all the different parties that are involved. You've got escrow title, you've got the commercial broker, maybe it's a residential realtor, you've got attorneys, you've got CPAs, you've got inspection people, appraisers, anybody that touches a real estate transaction. So if 1031 went away, there's not going to be that many more deals going on and therefore a, a shrinkage in the amount of jobs 
that it would really impact uh, if it did go away, hypothetically. But the good news right now, and I'll, I guess I'll, I'll go there on the Washington front, when uh, Biden proposed his tax plan, he proposed a limitation, not eliminate 1031, but definitely cut back significantly the amount of exchanges on a volume level that people could do. And it said, if was that the five hundred thousand limit? That's where I was going. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So the, he was limiting a single taxpayer to five hundred thousand dollars a gain, and he could only do it once a year. And if you're married filing jointly, it was a million dollars. Well, as Congress basically negotiated the deals, there was a proposed amendment at three o'clock in the morning. They were looking at like a thousand different amendments throughout the night. And one of the very last ones, I can't remember the name of the senator that got up, but he said, "I propose." the elimination of any changes to section code 1031. And they, it was like three o'clock in the morning. They're all super tired. And they said, oh okay, God. we all agree. So when the House Ways and Means Committee report came out about two weeks ago, it did not include any proposed changes to section code 1031. That's great news. But as you know, with uh, Congress, nothing's over until it's over. So, you know, you've got the Dems fighting the Dems on the infrastructure bill and everything else that's on the other spending bill. We're hoping and, and knock on wood that it's not going to be impacted. But as of right now, we're out of the woods, if you will. So it's great so news. Were you sweating it a little bit up until 3 a.m. in the morning when? Uh... Well, I, didn't, I wasn't up when that happened. Um, <laughs> we as an industry were sweating and there's been a lot of lobbying going on for the last year and a half, actually, with members of Congress, both on the Democrat side and the Republican side. And you think about in any state, think about the constituents of those Congress folks that own real estate, whether it be commercial real estate or in Iowa, you've got these large you know, agricultural swaths with families right. that own these properties for generations. And then mom and dad want to sell because of the, you know, all these commercial groups coming in and buying these farms. It would kill right. them financially as far as the taxes are concerned. So I think those people started started speaking up and got the ears of their Congress people to say, no, this is a bad idea to get rid of this. Yeah, I mean, you think about the trickle-down effect. If the 1031 like kind of exchange was eliminated or even you know, had restrictions like the $500,000 limit that was proposed, it would increase the holding period. So people are going to hold on to their real estate longer, which uh, you know, in, in California in particular, you know, taxes go up when there's typically a transfer of ownership and then there's a new assessed value at that higher price point, right? So so there'd be lower increases in property taxes because there'd be less transactions. Of course, you know, we've got, uh, you know, the split roll that was on the uh, on the ballot, which thank God didn't didn't pass. But and probably coming uh, back again. And I'm sure coming back. Yeah, absolutely. So that was kind of the workaround for that one, I guess. But it would increase, you know, the use of leverage and in, in financing acquisitions. So it would have an impact on the debt markets. You know, and those micro effects have a, a macro impact on the macro economy. You know, it result in uh, decreased construction and investment activity in commercial real estate markets, which would then, you know, depress the employment uh, in various sectors and markets. We talked about the decline in property transactions. So, you know, that velocity and momentum, you know, that is so critical to the economy, right? I mean, when money's moving, the economy's alive. And when money's stagnant, it, it tends to, to die. Cost of capital would increase. You know, there'd be a, a number of impacts that would be very negative on, on the overall economy. And so I think it's really important that people understand the importance of the 1031 
and you know what it does for the overall economy. And it's it's not it helps increase taxes in a lot of cases. You know, it helps the states, the various states and uh, federal government, even though it's a deferral, which I think is a key term, right? It's not a, a workaround to not pay taxes. It's a deferral of capital gains taxes. You're absolutely right. Um, all the bullet points I've, I've read in the same report, you probably have the Federation of Exchange Accommodators lobby lobby piece That's there. That's exactly what I read. You're, you're right. <laughs> I was familiar with all those You know your stuff. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're absolutely right on, on all those fronts. Uh, it's huge. And you know what? When they proposed this, you woke up the real estate industry as a sleeping bear, if you will, uh, because even NAR wrote a letter to the president, um, National Association of Realtors, yeah. uh, CPA organizations, the attorney organizations. I mean, this you know real estate industry thrives on this part of the tax code and helps build the economy. And, and if it's taken away, it would have, as you pointed out on several uh, bullet points, uh, a very huge impact. Yeah, I have to get my real estate license to come work for you. <laughs> there you go. Although I don't know what we would be, uh, it would definitely impact our business as well. So we'd have to figure that out. But uh, I mean, you can't put a, a law like this on the books, you know, for all these years and, you know, have people plan around it and then just take it away. So yeah, appreciate you, uh, you know, joining me today. And I think this is a really important topic that, you know, not just uh, commercial real estate people need to understand, but everyone because it impacts uh, it really impacts everyone. So I appreciate you uh, doing this. And is there anything else that you want to kind of share before we uh, Maybe close it a, out? A couple bullet points. I, I brought this yeah. up in the presentation in your office is if you have a client that is, or you, if your clients are listening is generally they want to set up the exchange before they close escrow. We get calls, Hey, we just closed escrow. We want to do an exchange. And I have to tell them, unfortunately, it's too late because the IRS regulations stipulate you can't touch your money any way whatsoever, including sitting it, having it sit. So perfect world is you want to set up the exchange with a qualified intermediary about two weeks before close of escrow. We need to get your information, title company information, property address, et cetera. So that's an important bullet point right there all on itself. But number two, as your clients probably know, you only have 45 days to identify in writing what it is you're going to buy. Can you start looking and even have the replacement property under contract before you close your old property? And the answer is yes, you can. You do not have to have an end contract to identify it. So you, you can just, all you have to do basically is put down the physical address of the property or properties you're considering buying, send that list to us before midnight of the 45th day of the exchange. Another bullet point there is that list is not changeable for any reason whatsoever after day 45. So if they've identified, say, three properties, Greg, and they're on day 60 and they can't or don't want to buy any one of those properties, they're going to have to wait until day 180 expires before they can get the proceeds back from the qualified intermediary. So I just like to say, you know, planning is important if you own properties in an LLC or a partnership or whatever format, you know, have that exit plan ready if you want to go your separate ways from your co-owners. So yeah. and, uh, oftentimes an attorney that understands, you know, the tax laws and how to do drop and swaps and, you know, is, is critical, especially if there's a, you know, complex uh, ownership structure, trust or, you know, something and one person's, you know, dropping out and they don't want to participate in the exchange. You got to really pre-plan that, right? Absolutely. And then communicating with, um, you know, with escrow as well, letting them know, you know, that you're planning on doing an exchange so that they can send the appropriate paperwork because the uh, transaction is going to go through the exchange accommodator. 
So it's important that they're aware of that. If you're contemplating doing an exchange, but then you change your mind, uh, it's better to, in my opinion, at least, to set up the exchange and get it prepared. Because what does it cost if you if you end up not going forward with the exchange? It's not that much. No. So there's no fee to set up the exchange with us. We don't collect our fee until they actually close escrow and the funds are wired to us by the title company. When that happens, we charge a flat fee of $1,250 for our service. That's our staff time, wire transfer, doc prep, identification, everything that's involved in that for one sale and up to three purchases in the exchange. Bullet point there is, let's say they get 30 days into their exchange and they decide they don't want to. Well, the IRS regulations stipulate they have to wait until the 45-day identification period expires. Then they can get their proceeds back from us, so provided they haven't identified any properties like I talked about before. So pretty, and yeah, if they right. decide not to do the exchange before they close escrow on the property. We don't charge anything. You don't charge it. That, yeah. So there's no reason why if you're contemplating doing an exchange, you wouldn't you know, contact the accommodator and get that set up. If someone's staring a $100,000 tax bill in the face between the state and feds, is it worth it to spend $1,250 to buy yourself 45 days to look? I think that's worth Absolutely. it. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the last point too, because I've seen this uh, happen a number of times is uh, don't let uh, your tax consequences drive your real estate decisions. I think that's really important. I've seen a number of clients that, you know, they're worried about paying this tax bill. And so they go and they're, you know, up against the clock and they go buy a piece of real estate that really wasn't a very good investment and they lose all the uh, the uh, the benefits of doing the exchange because they purchased a poor investment that's not, you know, performing or had issues or, you know, they overpaid for it, right? So I think it's it's really important to, uh, to understand, you know, yes, there's some major benefits in deferring your taxes and going through an exchange, but you also have to buy right, you know, so it's a balance. Yep, cash and location, right? right. Cash flow location, absolutely. Well, perfect. Thank you again for all of that. And uh, like I said, we'll include your information so folks can reach out if they've got an exchange or have questions. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. Thank you for downloading Closing Time, presented by Capital Rivers Commercial. If you're interested in partnering with us, visit CapitalRivers.com to learn more. And follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram for the latest updates and real estate opportunities.